You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. So this is another one of our deal or no deal analyses on flipping with Derek Marlin of Elevation. Derek, glad to have you back. Chris, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I know this one. I actually have not seen the slides on this yet. Okay. And I know this is a single family home right. in Nevada that you looked at. So Correct. Set the, set the stage for us. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a property in a northern suburb of Denver, about 30 minutes outside Denver. It is kind of a traditional single family home. And it's a property that we looked at and... Um, ended up moving forward with. So we'll, we'll kind of give a little bit of a spoiler alert, but we'll go through all the details. Um, and this kind of crossed over from the end of 2019 and the very beginning of 2020. So I wanted to do one that is a single family in a real hot area of a town called Arvada. Oh yeah. That is uh, I know. I mean, we, we do a lot, of, we buy a lot of house hacks up there. Yep. We like that because a great balance of like, you know, uh, rent to price ratio, great quality of life and just huge upside. Is that a good area for redevelopment and flipping as well? I think it is too. I think it's something that is a little bit of um, kind of our internal thoughts. But if you think of how people's families and lives progress, you get people that are living really core downtown, living in Northwest Denver, Highlands, Sloan's Lake. They inherently have some kids and space gets too small and also schools become really important. So you migrate kind of continually Northwest, in my opinion, to Wheat Ridge, uh, and then you can even get into Arvada, which has good schools as well, a lot more space and yeah. good bang for your buck, um, close to the mountains too. So no, it's a, it's a great place, cool old town type of development too. So great, you know, um, you know, bars, restaurants, retail, the whole the whole nine. Yeah, I agree. Cool. So this was, and this was, you said all all pre COVID, right? Yes, this is a hundred percent pre COVID. We've got a couple of deals we're working on right now that we sourced in the middle of COVID, and we'll you know have on future episodes, but they're not closed out. So we want all these kind of very specific facts after post sale. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So where did you uh, find the deal from? This one was sourced directly off of the MLS. We purchased this one in mid-November. Um, the deal was listed, immediately went under contract. We kept an eye on it. We didn't get an offer in because a lot of times when we have our number in mind, we'll call the respective listing agent and say, this is roughly where we need to be. If they have a couple of offers, then we typically make it. But if they have a ton of offers and we're a little bit lower, we don't want to submit an offer that's going to, you know, essentially give them more work to do and have us not a good likelihood of success. Um, that deal fell out. And so we immediately resubmitted and got the property under contract. And this was um, just before Thanksgiving. Okay. Yep. So was this property listed? I mean, was it listed as like, you know, an investor or flipper special? Were they kind of marketing it towards you know, that audience or was it more just a traditional listing that went stale? Kind of a traditional listing that went stale. The layout was really quirky too. So I think that it had a little smaller audience of traditional homeowners that wanted to buy it, but this was mm -hmm. in definitely better condition than the majority of the properties that we buy. So it didn't have your classic terms of investor special, bring your tool belt, sweat yeah. equity, those types of key phrases. This one was kind of a classic home that had been, um, you know, well lived in, if you will, but definitely not a disaster like some of the ones that we've done recently. So just very dated? Yeah, definitely dated and then just kind of a quirky layout. So I think a lot of people in the current format couldn't envision how you could do it. And we'll dive into how we changed this property. But I think that, um, you know, made it to where it wasn't quite as hot. So they had a handful of offers, but 
um, like you said, it's a good part of town. So there was definitely activity, but it was not your classic investor special, super disaster trash property. And what part of Arvada was it in? Or so, is it in? Yeah, it's only about one mile from Old Town, okay. uh, which is where the light rail drops into yeah. Main Street that has those shops and, and restaurants and retail and mixed use office space. So really close to that part of town. There's also really neat parks. They've done a lot of great things as far as the city goes of reinvesting tax dollars and putting really nice parks over there of what was kind of weird barren land probably 15 years ago. So it's it's a really good kind of close proximity spot. Yeah, I do like their parks and, and uh, bike paths up there. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Okay, so ha- talk about the uh, just the offer and the structure of the, of the contract you put in. So this one, we really feel like many, many people can be a cash buyer um, and they can close quickly. So we try to come to the table with different solutions. So on this one, it had fallen apart we came in, we went back in um, fully at asking. And so do you know why it fell out of contract? Uh, you know, we, di- we didn't, we don't. Okay. Yeah, sometimes people will tell us and other times they don't. So we did not know in particular why this one fell out. Um, for us, the good news is we do our own inspection. So we're not really worried about how did the inspection go, which is what a lot of people worry about. So for us, it was really simple and straightforward. Um, we definitely offered to close quickly. But then we found out with it, what they needed is they needed some time to rent back. It was right over the holidays. And so we were happy to do a uh, full cash offer. Two-week close, so they had money in the bank. We did a rent back. In this one, sometimes we do a rent back with actual rent for the time they're there. Um, we also do a security deposit. In this instance, it was only two and a half weeks that they needed. So we actually said, we're not going to charge any rent. We'll withhold a security deposit from your proceeds. And all you have to do, this is not a regular rental move out. Just take your stuff and lock the door behind you. You don't need to clean. You don't need to fix anything. Um, just take your stuff. And and they were great with that. So that helped us get the deal. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this one is just a classic single family home uh, in Arvada. We were looking at this one and this is one of the reasons why I don't think that it probably moved quite as quickly or had as many offers. It was originally constructed as a four bedroom, two bathroom house. There was one non-conforming bedroom in the basement. Um, This is one where you'd almost call it a tri-level meaning that there is living space on three individual levels, but it's not the format where you walk in the front door and are forced to make a decision of which way to go. We kind of avoid those properties because I think it's hard for people to see which way you can use that space. And I've never talked to anyone actually enjoys walk in and go up or go down. Yes. And so this one, but it was was a a funky layout where you walked in on the main level, but there was a, a weird half wall that, kept you from walking into a living room. And then when you walked up into the second level of the property into what would be more of the dining room and the kitchen area, there was a huge closet and it made you feel like you were walking in a little hallway um, getting up to that second floor. So we blew that out. And then the big thing that we go back and forth with these type of properties, keep it a 4-2. I'm sure your listeners always think, okay, great, more value, more bedrooms. But in this instance, there was no master suite and we mm. knew it was a family play. And so we actually ended up converting it from a four bedroom, took one of the, the bedrooms upstairs. So the existing layout was uh, you walk up another four stairs to the, let's call it the top floor, if you will. And there were three um, kind of smaller bedrooms and one hallway bathroom. 
we kept the hallway bathroom and then we ended up taking the two bedrooms that were stacked side by side in the back of the property and converted one of those bedrooms into a master suite and made a really huge master ensuite with a bedroom and a bathroom. So we actually took it from a 4-2 to a 3-3, but we can talk about it here as we progress in, in the episode of why that ended up being a, a good deal. Um, normally we end up going that way. I think there's some people that would probably keep it a 4-2, but um, there weren't as many comps in the area that had a classic master suite, and we thought that would bring a lot of value, and it ended up doing a pretty good job. So I'm assuming this was probably like a late 60s or 70s build. Yes. And then, um, and most of those uh, houses around there didn't have a master suite. Yeah, they really like didn't. That. You, in that price point, there were not a lot of master suites. You had to go quite a bit more expensive. Or if it did, it, it was actually a smaller property. It was a three-bedroom, two-bathroom, more of a ranch. Um, this one ended up, when it was finished, having just over 2,400 total square feet. Oh, so it's a pretty, so good size house. Pretty good size. Um, the other ones that had master suites were your classic ranch where you had maybe 1,500 square feet. So we just figured, let's let's fix this up. And we've had track record of doing that in a couple different suburban types of homes. And especially when you're paying you know, a good chunk of change on the back end in, near that half million dollar mark, people want a master suite. They can still give their kids a bath in the hallway bathroom or have guests stay downstairs, but that definitely goes a long ways doing that master. And so you've noticed a difference in your ARVs with, if there's a master suite, you'll see a bump in the ARV. We even have. if it drops the overall bedroom count? Yes. Okay. We, we, as long as you have a minimum number of beds. So Probably what, three, right? Exactly. As yeah. long as you can remain and have three beds as your finishing point, then you're in really good shape. I would be a little leery of going, having a master only doing a 2-2 two, two if you are in a suburban type of setting. That works in more central core Denver of, of hit parts of town where you're not attracting big families. But if yeah. you've got a family, I think you definitely need three bedrooms at a minimum to, you know, widest audience. Okay. So what'd you uh, buy this place for? I know you say you went all cash, full ask. What was it listed at? We did. So we bought this one at 375. Hmm, okay. Yep. All cash. And we bought it in November. Um, again, we always pay the closing costs as well. And so that's one of the other reasons why we get the deal. And then we rehabbed it through the holidays and then put it back on the market here in first quarter of 2020. So good timing. Yes. And I'm, I'm curious, sorry, kind of looping back around to the deal structure here. Did you, did the agent call you back when it came to the market or are you just keeping your eye out on MLS alerts? No, they did not call us back. Um, you would actually think that they would have. Normally we do get a call back. Um, Don't give listing agents that much credit. Right, right. That's a good. That's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, no, we really keep an eye on it, and we have daily searches so that the second it came back on market, and we have one set up for the city of Arvada. So yeah, we immediately saw it and then quickly put in an offer. Okay. Yeah. And did you ask the agent, hey, if, it, if anything happens, give us a call? But you did that yes. standard line. But we did. Yeah. We did, and we tell people we say we we buy a lot of properties as either a traditional backup, or I will actually submit, or I just say, hey, let me be your first call. Yeah. And a lot of agents do a great job and call us back. And we've bought a number of properties when stuff falls apart. And we really assess it. Sometimes if it is um, a deal that was a little bit thin, then we'll end up going back at a little bit lower price. In this instance, we knew the deal was a good good one overall. So we just went right back in at our existing offer, which was asking price, didn't have to pay over, which was nice. And, uh, and they were super happy. Um, and then we inspect it with our in-house team, which is myself, my project manager, Probably 80% of the projects will actually bring one of our general contractors that we've built a great relationship with so that they can see what we're doing. Um, and this one, structurally, it looked really good. Um, and then we'll talk about it here at the end of the episode. We didn't really need an engineer, um, but on this one, we actually didn't do a sewer scope. Why? That is a mistake. 
Okay, is that just through the crack? Hundred percent a mistake. Yeah, uh, and then that that's, bites you. And I guess we'll find out later. And that. that's something that yeah, we'll talk about here in a little bit. But I, I think sometimes on on everybody's podcast, we all talk about these amazing deals, and nobody ever hears about mistakes or, or problems. So I, I wanted to actually pick this specific property um, as a shame on me for the guy being in charge that we didn't follow our own systems. So. Because imagine it's on your checklist, right? Because I mean, 100%. that's sort of our checklist. And I think yes. you have much more detailed checklist it than is. flipping and it just is. got overlooked. It is. It is Ooh. 100% in bold. And so we'll talk a little bit more details in a little bit, but no, that is definitely uh, very, very top of the list of major systems. There's six things we're always looking for. And, yeah. and this is this is one of them. Hey, no one bats 100%. That's right. All right. So you did an inspection. Anything? Yep. I mean, because I, because uh, you guys had walked the property before, right? Correct. Okay. So during the inspection, any major things pop up they weren't expecting, or they had to go back and and renegotiate with the seller on? No, everything looked really good. This was a, a unique property because at some point one of the owners had almost dug out a a basement, um, which ended up being really good storage. It was full of tons of stuff. So we did our best to see what was going on structurally, moving a little bit of stuff around, but there was a little bit of a risk that we took um, making sure that that kind of unique storage area wasn't going to be finished no matter you know how we were going to rehab the property, but um, you know everything looked good and, and they moved out and everything continued to look good, So, which is nice. We had another property that that wasn't the case, so that's why you have your contingencies. Mm-hmm. And then I did this uh, cash purchase, mm-hmm. two-week close, a few-week rent back. Yep. And we do the same. A lot of times we don't charge rent on the rent back for yep. a few weeks. It just makes the offer look better. Yep. I'm curious. So like, what do you, what'd you hold as a deposit? $1,500. Okay. Yeah. So our, our kind of, we want it to be enough so that they're just cognizant of not digging, you know, holes in the front yard or busting up drywall yeah. or, or doing something silly. And that's going to cost us money. Um, but we don't want it too insignificant where they say, well, it's going to cost me way more to, you know, ha- move all my five couches and 15 mattresses out of there. So, you know, it's got to be enough, but not too much, even though it's typically taken out of their proceeds. So it's not money they think they're having to spend. Sometimes people have that perception is, oh, wait, I have to put down a deposit. It's like, no, you just get a little less at closing. Yeah. You guys move out. Everything looks good. The title company gives you that extra money back. And you make them get renter's insurance for those couple of weeks yes. and all that? Yeah. Yes, definitely renter's insurance. We still insure it from day one when we close on it, but we have just that extra level of security yeah. for, yeah, renter's insurance. Cool. Yep. And so I'm kind of curious to see what your analysis is. Yeah, so your your audience can jump online. We had some before pictures oh, yeah. um, of the property. And so we can kind of talk a little bit about what we did. Um, this was one where we went in and it was a little more cosmetic in nature than what we typically do. So they actually had um, nice cabinets that we were going to continue to use. They also had already had put in um, granite countertops. This is the price point where we start to think about, do we need quartz? Um, but we thought they looked nice enough, um, kind of off backsplash. So we demoed all the backsplash and then took the upper cabinets out because they were very small and just made actually the space feel smaller. Are those really short upper cabinets? They are. They're only 24 inches in height. Mm. And so they're just kind of odd. Um, We couldn't find them either. We couldn't match. And we, you know, if this was just a normal white shaker cabinet, we would actually go and buy your traditional 30 or 42 inch uppers, but those weren't available in this style. And so we actually uh, took those out and ended up doing kind of that modern looking shelving because the, the rest of the kitchen had a ton of storage. So we, we didn't cannibalize the storage too so, terribly much. And just to describe, I mean, you know, from the four photos I see, two of them have quite a few uh, sloped ceilings. Yes. So you kind of got that, 
don't know. I'm not a fan of this kind of that, that funky ceiling slope going on. And yeah. that's probably what affected the cabinets, it looks like, right? It, it did. They had a weird drop ceiling in the kitchen. We weren't quite sure why, because you absolutely could open it up, which is what we did. So we took the ceiling height in the kitchen from feeling kind of closed off. Um, and not nearly as inviting and raised it about four feet. Oh, so it's just a drop ceiling? It was just a weird drop ceiling. So yeah, we took that out. And the goal with this house was to make it um, look a little more mid-century modern in style, which is what we normally do with a lot of these kind of ranches um, that aren't 100% mid-mod, which is that 50s classic style. We try to add elements to it that appeal to the people that like that style, but also to the general buying public too. And just looking, again, we're looking at four photos here, but I mean, just as far as like location and quality, kind of give some context to our listeners out there. You know, this is, it looks like in really good shape. Yeah. Like, I mean, whatever, I'm not a fan of the ceiling, but that doesn't really matter for rental properties. But this is type of stuff we buy for house hacks all the time. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, pretty much moving ready for a house hack and future oh, rental yeah. properties at the rest of the house kind of looks like that. Yeah it, yeah, it really, really does. Just some some kind of personal taste that were a little off that made it not as conducive to them probably getting top dollar. But for us, again, this leans a lot more cosmetic in nature since um, we weren't, again, we were able to keep the cabinets, keep the countertops. The hardwood floors were really, really nice. And this one, you're actually able to do a process called screening, which is almost like taking a, a steel wool and just taking the top, you know, 30 second off of the hardwood floor and putting a new varnish down versus you know, your big sander where you're walking behind it and doing true refinishing. So again, these are little things that save you a couple thousand bucks at each turn. So you um, call that screening? Yeah, it's called screening. Okay. So um, it's a faster process. It's less expensive. And it's just taking those super, super fine scratches out and then give you a nice new coat versus mm. refinishing if there's a lot of deeper scratches, uh, an old stain that's really kind of off and, and dated looking. You've got to do a, a true belt sander and it's a much more expensive and time consuming process. So screening is just a lot cheaper per square foot? Yeah, cheaper per square foot, almost about a buck fifty a square foot cheaper. Mm, okay, so uh, that adds up. And faster, yeah. So it definitely adds up. And then we've got the other picture of... Um, they had a, interestingly enough, a one quarter master um, where it was literally just a toilet and a sink. Um, so the nice thing is they had already done some plumbing. It was just kind of a funky layout. So it made it easy for us to then, uh, again, cannibalize that second bedroom upstairs and make uh, kind of a nice master suite. And we well. able to like, like tie into the existing plumbing they had already put up there? We were. Okay. Yep. We had to add a little bit more, but we were able to do that. Um, and then, you know, a lot of our projects are, um, you know, you kind of just decide at what price point you're selling it on the back end for ARV and how much do you need to do. Um, you can kind of see in these photos that the front yard was quite zero scaped. Um, again, in, in more expensive price points, we probably would have done a lot more, put in some sod, but you just kind of clean up the yard and make it really presentable and the same in the back. So again, this kind of leans a little more cosmetic in nature when we first bought the property. And you kept it zeroscape out front? Yeah, we kept yeah. it zeroscaped out I mean, front. I love zeroscape landscaping because it's no maintenance. But yeah. I don't know. Are you seeing a trend on like buyers or people happier about that? What's the feedback you get versus like, you know, or just depend? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it really just depends. I, I, I almost feel like it's a 50-50 split. There's okay. pros of people that love it and there's 50% of cons of people that aren't quite as into it and want more of that grass. Um, I think a lot of it is also based on the neighborhood. So in in the suburban areas, I think you do want more. I think people open to, to zeroscaping in the front, but in the back, you definitely want some grass so that you know kiddos can be outside oh, playing and, and running around. But the front, people seem pretty conducive 
to, to being okay with zero scaping. I mean, the only time I ever walked my front lawn was to push the lawnmower. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. So overall, it was kind of a, a straightforward one. It just looked, um, you know, your audience can jump on the show notes. It just looked plain is the easiest way to say, especially from the exterior. Yeah. So there were no shutters. Um, you've got a mixture of brick and siding. Things weren't really conducive. It didn't look like the house kind of was was tied together. together. One car attached garage. So straightforward layout, but just... Um, just kind of a, a vanilla type of a house, That's which is great for what we're doing. So we'll go on to kind of some of the afters. So I see the upper shell or the shells replace the uppers. Yep. Uh, outside, looks like you paint the brick that typical, I'll say flipper gray. Yes. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> yeah. That should be the next Sherwin-Williams <laughs> color. They yeah. should make flipper gray because you know they need more names. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what it is. I yes. mean, uh, so the floor looks the same from the photos. Yep. But obviously inside just, yeah, you updated again with, you know, just painted that. You painted the wood paneling on the ceiling. Correct. So, so yeah, it just looks like a yeah, great refresh. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that, you know, we did some backsplash. Um, right. We painted the ceilings, paint the fireplace. And, and your your comment about flipper gray, I think that's funny. And I also think that it's the truth. It, but it it takes out the emotion to it because if everybody put what you think you personally like or what people might like in 10 years, we can't forecast that. So we really just roll with on a year by year basis, yeah. what is most popular and, and trending because that's the audience we want to apply to uh, or appeal to. And then after that, if somebody wants to paint their house or change it, then then good on them. But yeah, we really try to kind of take that emotional tie out and we know what works and we have three different kind of color palettes. But um, yeah, so we did that. And then we really wanted to show depth. So we painted the brick a darker color and then we painted the siding a lighter color. And then we're really big proponents of using cedar. That natural wood and that that texture gives it the house depth and makes it look again kind of more updated and a bit uh, mid century modern. So, did you are those just? Did you? I see the cedar shutters. Mm -hmm. Did you leave? Is that still vinyl siding on there? That is still okay. vinyl siding. Yeah, and then another side. If you're painting vinyl siding, you have to use a specific type of paint that is constructed for vinyl siding and rated for to take that heat. It's definitely more expensive from a product perspective. Um, we learned that the hard way my second year in the business where we didn't vet the painting company to confirm that they were using vinyl rated paint and looked beautiful, listed the house, and then it literally looked like bacon on the side of the, the house. The siding completely warped because it got so hot and we had to reside um, one of our properties. So Yeah, I've seen that happen. So that's that was fun. from the... the, the uh, not right paint choice. Correct. Like Correct. So you're going to pay a little more, but it's well, well worth it. So did you, I'm just noticing now, did you stain the lower cabinets in the kitchen? Um, we actually, yeah, we did a stain because okay. they were kind of more of a natural finish, but they weren't done. So yeah, we stained um, the natural kind of to bring the natural color out. So not really a drastic color change, but just more of kind of a sprucing it up. Gives a bit of a contrast with the floor as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And this was one where we'll look, we'll talk about the budget here in a second. We started to see the market really, really heat up in this part of Arvada. There was no inventory. And so this is when we also start to make strategic decisions of, okay, if we spend a little more in certain areas, can we get that bang for the buck? And so one of them, looking at this photo of the kitchen, the kitchen tile floor was decent. Um, we had originally bought it and budgeted to keep it. But then we went in and everything else looked so good. So we ended up doing the floor. 
Um, so a couple of things like that, that ended up being the right decision and right call, but we really try to stick to our budget. But from time to time, you kind of sprinkle in certain design elements that you see when things run up, you feel like you can get a good bang for your buck. Or miss sewer scopes. Or miss sewer scopes. Yeah. So I'm going to have to bust your chops on that for a while. Oh yeah. So when you get to the numbers thing, this is definitely <laughs> one where we, we need to take our lumps and, and show people that you got to, you know, you spend all this time and energy creating a system. You have to stick to that yeah. system. Yeah. And then we just put more cedar on the front. Kind of a little a little trick that we do is um, to make it look cohesive, we try to bring in a cedar component on both sides of the house too. And so we ended up surrounding the door. Uh, they had taken off weird kind of junky soffit and fascia. Mm-hmm. And um, you'd either have to try to match the siding, which sometimes is really hard to do. You don't want to spend time or money um, doing masonry work or adding more brick. And so we put in the cedar um, that kind of wraps the door, it looks cool with with the numbers on it, and those are actually um, pickets from a fence. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of a, a simple, inexpensive, but really kind of a nice way to spruce that thing up, and you know, fast and easy, and and looks kind of nicer than probably what it would cost you to do that. Very cool. Yeah. And then last thing is we just addressed the the master. So we ended up framing it out so that we had a full nice shower. We decided since there was a bathtub in the hall bathroom on the main area where mom and dad um, or the the parents are going to stay and then kiddos are going to be there. So if you've got a younger kiddo, they're going to be able to take a bath in the hallway bathroom. But we find that the people that want that really nice clean master, they actually want a bigger shower than another bathtub. So we definitely do that and do nicer tile, um, double vanities and, um, you know, kind of move the toilet around and just um, on this one also when we do those two back-to-back rooms you don't want to cannibalize um, parts of your bedroom so we always do barn doors so rather than swinging into your bathroom or swinging out into your bedroom as we always kind of divide these as far as how you're entering your master with the barn door and then we try to tie the inside to the outside so we've got cedar on the outside um, our barn door is normally cedar and then our mantle. We build a custom mantle on the fireplace. And so it just, we want it to look cohesive from inside to out. Nice. So now we can talk about numbers. So again, we purchased the property. Um, the way that we buy it in-house is we've got an agent um, or one of my staff members is an agent. So we can actually collect some commission up front. So a 375 buy is actually a 367 purchase to us. Because you're taking out some of the commission? Because I'm taking out some of the commission. Yep. And my staff um, receives kind of bonuses and compensation uh, as a part of their compensation. Mm -hmm. So our our back-end ARV was, we thought, very conservatively at 515,000 would be where we could sell this. Initial rehab budget was just under $60,000. So it was $59,600. Uh, so again, $515,000 ARV. This is just slightly better than our kind of, you know, bread and butter flip, which is normally about $140,000 in spread. So you're you're right there. Um, again, we changed, we really ended up touching the vast majority of this house. And our goal was to change it to a 3-3. Three, three. Um, inspecting it was, we knew that we needed to do the roof. Um, that was the only major system that we had planned for. Um, kept the cabinets, kept the countertops, was going to be a 90-day project, um, 60 days worth of rehab. And then, again, determining ARV, there were 10 or 12 really good comps. So it was pretty straightforward to comp this one. And our projected profit was just over $50,000. 
So it's 50,371, which is kind of right in our sweet spot. This is kind of our our good slash standard single family home where you're in and out in two months worth of work, right at that $50,000 price point. Um, this is kind of our straightforward bread and butter. I say it's just a solid base hit, right? Yeah, solid base hit. Kind of, I know you're a baseball guy, so let, yeah. this is just our normal double, like something that's that's good, clean, simple, straightforward. Um, that's what we projected going in. And now we can talk about how... So sorry, flip back one oh, yeah. more real quick. I just yeah. want to see. So I know your metrics, so you had a... Uh, a 10.8% oh, yeah. ROI, mm-hmm. which is the yellow. Yep. Uh, your daily burns at 72, which is yellow. Mm-hmm. Your profits at just over 50,000, so green box. Mm-hmm. And your dollars per day, which that's your preferred metric, right? That is. You're at 560, which is in the green as well. It is. I just want, okay, now I'm curious to see the next one. Yeah, thank you. And that's definitely a bit higher for us. Our goal is to be $450 per day net profit or more. So that's definitely what, what lent me towards this property of thinking. Not only are we making a good overall net profit of just over $50,000, um, but we're making it relatively quickly. So now we can kind of go. Oh, sorry, one random question yeah. for you. So I see your holding time is ninety days. Mm-hmm. So you did a two or three week rent back period. Are you are you counting your holding time from the day you close or day you actually take possession? Actually, on this one, we we ran it of the day we take possession. Okay. And normally, if we have a rent back and we're charging rent, I try to get that rent to cover what my holding costs are. Yeah. So that yeah, the day that we start. Um, we've kind of accounted for that from an expense standpoint before that. And then, yeah, the day we start rehabbing it and the day we sell it should be a 90-day So project. for those two, three, whatever, I mean, obviously you have a couple dollars in carrying cost. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things is it's just like, hey, the numbers are good enough. You don't worry about getting that detailed on it because it's just a couple of weeks, but numbers are good enough. Yes. Okay. I do for a, anything that's $1,000 or less, um, we're not going to get too terribly worried about it. If okay. it ends up being $1,000 or more, which is normally two weeks or more of renting it back, then we actually charge them rent, and then the goal is to hopefully have that rent cover whatever my carrying cost is. But the thousand dollars is your yeah threshold. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Thousand bucks is the threshold. I've got rules like that too. Hey, it's below this. Like, who cares? It's not worth bigger. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, and it's almost the same thing that we have actually as a rule with our contractors. Um, and then I've got internally um, with my project manager is for the contractors. If it's a change order that's two hundred and fifty dollars or less, and they deem it as necessary, they can do it. They can um, tell me about it that day, and then we sign off on the change orders later that week. Anything that's over two fifty is we have have to actually approve that. Okay. So yeah, it's just certain things. It's like what, how can you scale and what's worth your yep. time? So here's what we ended up doing: is again we converted it to a three bedroom, three bath. We saw the market really running up, um, both with a lack of inventory and then things that were very averagely finished out having run-ups and, and selling far over asking. So this is where we started to actually do a little bit more work on the property. So we mentioned um, we added tile in the kitchen. We decided to do that for the flooring. Um, we decided to um, also, well, actually we didn't decide. So this is kind of an interesting one. So we ended up selling the property. We listed it still at $515,000. Okay. We definitely thought that 525 was a, a really, really very realistic ARV and where we thought that it would sell for. Um, the good thing is, is we had, uh, we typically try to list on a Thursday um, so that showings start either late Thursday or first thing yep. Friday morning, showings all the way through Sunday. And then we typically try to have a decision made uh, by Monday. This one, we had 46 showings. We had 16 offers and 10 of them were substantially above asking. 
Um, we actually on this one ended up going under contract at 555. Oh, wow. So a, a good chunk above asking. This one, the overall hold time ended up being 110 days instead of the 90 that we had projected for two reasons. One, we ended up having to do more work on the property. And second, um, this is the first one we've had in a while that actually fell out of contract. So we got, of course, you know, sworn up and down um, from the buy side agent that the clients love the house. This is their dream house, this, that, and the other. Um, and then they did their inspection and ended up getting cold feet. And so they just did the inspection termination? They did the inspection termination. Didn't give us a lot to go off of. And we really try to, um, you know, not prize the right word, but we want to know because a lot of times if it's something that's super straightforward, either it's probably already my scope of work with my contractor so I can do it and I've essentially already paid for it. Or especially when properties run up in profit, you know, we want to do good business too. So if it's things here and there that, you know, makes sense for me to spend a thousand dollars to keep a deal that's, you know, 35 grand over asking, I'm going to do that in a yeah, heartbeat. Throw a, throw a few bucks at it for sure. You know, totally throw a few bucks at it. So unfortunately that fell through. So the next week, this is where we really try to stay in touch with anybody that of course submitted an offer. Um, luckily my in-house agent called, uh, let's call it an offer number two back. They were about to submit on an offer we were really, really lucky. They've been thinking about the house, bummed that they lost out. Mm. Um, so we ended up going under contract. Um, again, we don't tell the people where we go under contract. So we just say, you know, give us your best offer. So they came back at 5525 So $2,500 less than what we were under contract for um, in the first place. But where we really wish that we would have actually have known what they were looking for is this is where I need to take my lumps is they did a sewer scope and the sewer line was totally cracked oh. and shot. So that really goes to literally check every box on your checklist that um, I went back and looked at it and had assumed that my staff had sewer scoped it. They assumed that I had checked, uh, you know, approved it and we didn't. And that was uh, a almost an $8,000, um, really, really painful mistake. So just replace the whole sewer line? So or? yeah, replace, okay. replace the whole sewer line. And we're lucky that we've got great relationships. I think if that was just a, you know, run of the mill retail type of replacement, that would have been a 10 or $11,000 mm. job. But luckily we, we do a lot of business with four or five contractors around town. And so we were able to do it and we were actually able to do it before it closed to keep the deal together. The other thing on the inspection was um, we ended up having to update the panel. We did- Electrical panel? Yeah, we, we ended up updating the electrical panel. And that one was kind of an odd one because we had gotten everything in inspected and everything, you know, looked good. We didn't really, besides adding some electrical to the master bathroom, the panel could handle it. Um, but then when they had a, a master electrician go in, they really kind of beat us up on the panel. And that was kind of a tough point that you get to as an investor and you say, there really isn't a reason why we should be conceding to this, but do I want to go back on the market? Yeah. And so my rule of thumb is normally, as long as I can keep that expense or that repair under what one month of carrying cost is, I do it and either fix, you know, A, B, or C, or I do a price reduction. Um, so this one, the panel in our world is normally a $2,500 expense. That is my carrying cost plus another month of staging. And so it's a no brainer. And that's why we ended up going back at, at 552. So even, you know, after some of those mistakes, 
we got lucky in the run-up. I mean, if things had stayed static, this would have been, you know, a $30,000 profit. And that would have been, you know, yellows and reds for us, especially spending, you know, a decent amount of money. So this goes to show you, like, you have to, I don't care how many you do, you you have to double check your own self. Yeah, because what's jumping out to me as I as I read your spreadsheet here, and of course, this is on the, the blog post if you mm-hmm. guys want to see it yourself, but like, your profit on the after analysis or the actual analysis is about $52,000, which is what, like a thousand or 2,000 higher yeah, than the other grand. one. Yep. But your daily profit, I mean, dropped quite a bit from, I mean, was it 600 something? Yeah, from 560, 560. to 475. So yeah. that was the only thing that jumped down is that, you know, that's a significant drop per day. Uh, but your profit stayed about the same yeah. because of the run up, even though your rehab went up, went like, one year, thirty thousand dollars more. Yeah, that it, was the saving grace. It did. That was the saving grace. And you're right. That's why we really try to focus on dollars per day. So, all things being equal, let's say these are two different properties that we're looking to purchase. We'll actually go with the one that is faster and a higher dollar per day of a fifty thousand dollar profit versus a fifty two thousand dollar profit because it's you know almost a hundred dollars a day less. Yeah in net profit. Cause again, we want to turn that money as fast as possible. So it's again, we, you know, ended up being still a very good project for us. And, and I really liked the way that the product itself turned out and the buyers loved it. So there's some definite positives, but absolutely it's like bite the bullet and take your lumps. And, and that's an expensive, uh, you know, mistake. And, and you have to follow your system, especially when you've created them. And when did you list this property? So we listed this one in February. Okay. Yep. February and then closed it in um, late, actually late February. So just before Corona. And I remember too, like, because, you know, that's, you know, starting out in winter or springtime, but at least this year for us, you know, if you can remember before COVID, at least like the spring buying frenzy started earlier. It did. It felt like for us and talking to other agents, you know, like right around like that, I don't know, third or fourth week of January, felt like yes. we did things like, holy crap, I guess yeah. March is here. Yep. Is what we we said. And so that's, I mean, I think you guys hit good timing on that. And you also, there's like no inventory around there at the same time. Yeah, there was no uh, inventory. Yeah, great. It's the best. I mean, there are only three, I want to say three, maybe four houses within $100,000 of us. And of that, none of them were actual flips. So, I mean, literally this became, if you wanted something that was remotely fixed up, this is, I mean, literally your only option from roughly four hundred dollars to $500,000. You're either getting something way smaller and less fixed up or much bigger and much more expensive. So that's another thing that we do is we, we try to underwrite and uh, analyze our deals conservatively. But if we see there's nothing on the market and we've got a, a fixed product, um, that's when we we might increase the price just a little bit. Not a function of I spent more, which in this instance would have been, you know, kind of made sense because we did spend more. You got to take your lumps in that. It's will the market handle that? And if we didn't see that, we would have listed it at 515 and just been frustrated and, you know, made our money and moved on. Yeah. I mean, saying you replace a sewer scope in the description is not going to, people don't care. That's not going to justify the higher price. Yes. That's one of the things people don't appreciate. Um, cool. Well, th- Derek, this has been phenomenal. Thank you. And again, to kind of wrap up a few things, all the the before and after photos, the two spreadsheets, those are on the show notes. So check those out. And also just some general feedback. This is the fourth of kind of the four series when Derek and I had coffee a month or two ago, kind of mapping out some some more marketing collaboration to do. We plan on doing uh, kind of the, these dealer no deals. And so we got these four planned out. We're going to do more in the future. We don't have anything on the calendar now, mm-hmm. but we'll definitely be doing more in the future together. 
But we would love to hear you guys' feedback on just, you know, what you like or what nuances you want to go down, you know, or details you want more of. You know, shoot me an email. Shoot Derek an email. We do take that feedback in consideration. So if there's more specific details you want to know on, let us know. Because as you know, we like to actually go into details on or not just fluff content. So please reach out. And Derek, um, just kind of like uh, for some general information, I know people can download the spreadsheet off the website or email you. Correct. And then you're also, I know a while ago you had an, an academy tentatively planned for July right. with COVID stuff. Is that still yeah. going on or did COVID crush it? Yeah, we're getting a little bit of pushback of people not feeling comfortable being yeah. in a room together, which I completely understand and respect. And so we're, we're going to move that to later in the third quarter, early fourth quarter. So your audience can check in. We definitely are, are going to um, still hold that two-day training academy. Um, but then we're also starting back up our, our meetups in the field so that we can do uh, teaching for people on site because we can space out a lot better in a house too. So we've got um, a neat single family home that we're going to start on in August from a renovation perspective. So we'll be holding uh, you know, meetups and on-site trainings for free for clients that want to come check out what we're doing. And so there'll be details about doing stuff on site and getting back out in the field, but still spacing out. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, let us know your uh, questions, your feedback. We did more of these. Derek, thanks again, man. Chris, thanks for having me.